Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey guys, good morning again. Welcome to the Grove. We're so glad you're with us. I want to mention a few things. One, when you came in, hopefully you got a program. Uh, as many of you know, inside of there, you'll find a connection card. That's something we love for everybody to fill out. Uh, you can put your name and email address on there, flip it over, and you'll find a spot for prayer requests uh, and just ways to get connected. So if there's things, questions you've got or ways that you're thinking about uh, getting connected, we're hoping to do a baptism service here in a few weeks. And so if you're interested in knowing more about baptism, I would love to talk to you and you can mark that on this card. Uh, and then there's a box in the back there that says offering. You can drop those cards in there uh, on your way out today. Also in there is a giving envelope. So if you want to give to help move the mission to grow forward, you can use that. And again, drop it in the box. Uh, you'll find a guide for listening and following along with the sermon. We're about to start here. Uh, and then overall, this is meant to give you a little bit of an idea of what's happening. Some of the things that are going on around the life of the Grove. And I want to mention one thing I mentioned, I said last week, uh, our plan was to have a lunch after the service today. Unfortunately, the Paulson family, there's some illness going on and they decided it was better not to be here today, uh, which is a bummer for them. It's a bummer for us. And so we've postponed that, uh, that lunch. We're going to find another time to get to celebrate and do that together, uh, but it's just not going to happen today. So I want to make sure you guys knew, I'm sorry if I ruined your lunch plans. We've got to figure something else out, but uh, it was for the best that we do that. One other thing, we're, we're continuing this series, Built to Last. Today we're going to talk about projecting the future or projecting the future. Um, but before we get into that, I got one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, you have to be careful as a pastor of the things you mention on stage uh, because there are like elves that exist somewhere that pay attention to the things you talk about. And so last week I mentioned uh, the loss of a t-shirt uh, when I was a high schooler, a Mighty Ducks t-shirt. And so yesterday in the mail, a package, a mysterious package arrived <laughs> And it was this. Uh, this, is an, this is even better than the one I had. The other one was like the, the Disney Mighty Ducks logo, you know. This is like the original Ducks jersey before Gordon Bombay showed up and sort of changed everything and, and they got really cool. So um, anyway, I love it. So uh, mysterious elf out there who knew that I needed a Mighty Ducks t-shirt again. Thank you very much. I don't know who you are. I would love to know who that was, um, but I, I really appreciate it. It was a, a little, uh, you know, the rain hadn't quite come yet, but, you know, it was a, a little bright spot in the day when the, the package showed up. So uh, with that in mind, again, we're, we're talking about projecting the future. We've been looking in this series. The, the goal is to look back at, at sort of where we've come from in, in getting into this building, but it's not meant to be exactly just a celebration of, hey, look, we, we did this big project. It, there's a part of that. We absolutely want to do that, and you'll see as we go along, uh, we, we want to honor uh, some of the different contributions, different kinds of contributions that have, have been a part of that. Um, but really what we want to say is at the heart of what we were trying to do, more than renovate a space, what we wanted to do is something uh, together. And, and the way we work, not just what we do, but how we do it really matters to the Lord. And so we're asking this question, how do we do projects? Whether it's a project church-wide or it's a project in, in our own lives, uh, this is part of your life, but, but our, our personal lives, whether you know, in our families or in our work, just how when we approach the different projects that we find ourselves a part of, how do we do that in a way that God really is delighted to be a part of? He, he really does. I mean, this is one of the beauties of, of the Christian gospel is that we get to partner with God, not because he needs us, 
but because he chooses to include us. And so how, as we partner with God, do we do things in a way that really is a delight to him, something he really enjoys? And so we're looking at some key ideas, some key values uh, that we sought to incorporate as we uh, went about renovating this space, but also that we want to be a part of the life of the Grove uh, for as long as we live. And so with that in mind, years ago, I, uh, I came across this, this little fact uh, about impalas, okay? So you, you know what we're talking about here. You see a picture of an impala. And uh, what I learned about the African impala is that it can jump to a height of, uh, of over 10 feet. And they can actually jump a distance of about 30 feet. But what's interesting is you go to the zoo, right? If you've been to the zoo lately where they have African impalas, uh, what you'll notice is they don't have to put up super large game fences to keep them in. In fact, you can generally put up about a three-foot fence with a little bit of a drop-off, and you'll keep those impalas uh, in there, the space that you want them for. And the reason is that impalas can, uh, will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will land. Okay. So, tiny little, little fence, these large jumping animals, but you can keep them contained with just a small fence because they won't jump where they can't see their feet land. And this fact has been used in uh, countless devotions over the years, right, when you begin to think about uh, what is going on. I, and I think of this regularly as someone who likes to, to think, uh, and you can insert overthink the consequences of things a lot, right? I can get kind of caught up thinking about all the possibilities of a decision. And what the Impala does is it gives this picture that I think we can all relate to when it comes to stepping into the unknown. And it gives an especially helpful picture of uh, what it means to live a life of faith in Christ. So again, that's just been a helpful image for me, being reminded of just this really small uh, fence that can be created from uh, allowing us to really move forward with the faith that we have in Christ. And so today we're going to talk about faith. Faith is one of those words that's used so often and in such varied ways that it can be difficult to get our arms around exactly uh, what it means. And think about this, right? Prior to February 2nd, 2020, uh, if you were a Chief fan, Chiefs fan, you, you spent 50 years or however long you've been alive as a Chiefs fan uh, ass assessing the Chiefs Super Bowl chances saying you just got to have faith. That, that was, you know, prior to just not long ago, that was the, the mantra. You got to have faith. It's going to happen eventually. And in that case, we use faith as, to refer to believing in something that as of yet, we have little basis to hope for, right? I mean, it's just, you, you believe because I want it to be true. Now, now, if you say, hey, you got to have faith, well, we'd have plenty of reason, right? Patrick Mahomes is a pretty good reason to have faith in the Chiefs. And you also might have heard people speak of, uh, of faith, of some person embracing the faith, right? Like embracing the faith. And in this case, case faith is used to refer to a specific set of beliefs. And other times we hear a person uh, of a person with deep personal faith. And faith in that case is a person's response to a set of beliefs. So faith gets used a lot of different ways. And the passage that I want to look at and talk about today uh, deals with faith. And it was written by a man who found himself the subject of a great deal of concern. Okay, the, the man is the Apostle Paul. We, he wrote a good part of the New Testament, planted a lot of churches. Uh, he'd been going through many difficulties and a, as a result of his work as a pastor. 
And people were abusing him physically, and they were lying to him and about him. And so he writes to a church. He writes to this group of believers, Christians at the, in the city of Corinth, so that he knew them well. And, and they were very grieved to watch him go through these hard times. And so he writes to them in part to explain the purpose of his suffering. He wants them to understand the purpose of his suffering. And he wants them to know how he's able to walk with God through those sufferings. In other words, he's trying to explain, here's how I have faith in the middle of this project that God has given me, this project to take the gospel to the nations. Now, he's not the sole bearer of that project, but he's playing this key role. And as, as people are concerned for the way he's going about that, he says, look, I want you to understand the reason I do this is because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. This is what we're going to look at today. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10, he writes to the church at Corinth, So we were always confident, and we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, in the passage that I just read, Paul tells us that those who follow God live by faith and not by sight. Which is to say this, okay, as we think about our project, as Christ followers, we approach our projects from a faith angle. Okay? We're, we're, looking, we're gonna look at these eight different factors or eight, eight different values. And, and last week we said, hey, people matter. That's, that's primary, understanding that we, we do projects with people attached on the other side of that and, and God being the chief person to whom we need to pay attention to and follow. But at the same time, when we look at these things, we say, also understand that as we go about doing our projects, if we are followers of Christ, then we start from this angle that says we are going to live by faith. Our faith is going to, is going to impact how we do that. I saw that bird land earlier, and now he's taken up residence. Hey, there's interesting things to hear today, so, you know, can't blame him. So, what, what Paul says here is, his means of enduring one of the most difficult lives ever lived was to do something that runs completely counter to that which is expected and accepted today. Right, you think about it, we live in a time where only things that are observable are legitimate. And any claims about something we can't see are often deemed radical and extreme. But the Bible's teaching is just as applicable now as it was in Paul's day. Living by faith means living at times without a certain kind of sight. It means walking in places where you can't see where your foot is going to land, right? just like that impala. That's just the life of faith often involves that kind of being able to, to move forward and not see everything that we would hope to see as we make decisions, as we go about carrying out these projects. It, it means sometimes doing those things whose outcomes are not certain like getting married or taking a new job, striking up a conversation or helping someone in need. You, you do a lot of these things and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And that is a part of understanding this life of faith. However, this conclusion, right, when you talk about that, it, it's often frustrating. I mean, if we're honest, 
It can be frustrating to think about faith and, and, and think about that conclusion when we consider following God. It might be especially con- frustrating for those who have yet to really put their trust in Jesus, right? Because this question pops up, common question, is Christianity just about blind faith? In other words, are you asking me just to, to you know, throw out everything I know about thinking or, or per, you know, thinking about decisions or, or considering different things, just throw that all out the window and just blindly go and follow something because some people do. Right? So, so that's, it's a valid question. Is Christianity just about pl- blind faith? And the follow-up is, right, how can I be expected to follow something that I can't see? And not just follow, right? Not just say, hey, I'm going to adopt a new pattern of living for a while, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, take up this new, you know, exercise regimen or whatever. Even then, we tend, what we tend to do is say, look, here's all the people who look awesome. And so you too can look awesome if you go do this thing. But, but here this question becomes, wait, you want me to just, I, I don't really, I can't really see all these things that you're wanting me to believe, and yet I'm supposed to just throw caution to the wind and blindly go follow and, and really wrap my entire life around this faith, this set of beliefs. And, and as I've wrestled with these questions and, and tried to think, you know, from a, a different angle, think about those who would consider those kinds of questions. Um, and, and as I've studied what Paul says to the Corinthians, I've come to this conclusion. I've come to understand that the proper response is, no, Christianity is not about blind faith. No, instead, there is a reality of faith, and that is this, that it is blind sight. Okay? Now, again, this is not pastoral word games, but I want you to, because I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. Christianity our faith is really about blind sight. This is what's described in Hebrews 11.1. 1. We're told there that faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, let me explain by pointing out another statement that Paul makes regarding sight. In a passage just prior to the one we're looking at, 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says this, 2 Corinthians 4.18, he writes, uh, We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, I want to remind you, Paul is trying to encourage his readers who are upset by all the suffering he's been going through. And he tells them that this response, his response to all this hardship is to fix his eyes or to look or see the things that can't be seen, instead of the things that can. Because, he says, the unseen things, these things are eternal, whereas the things that we see are just temporary. And now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say we fix our eyes on things that aren't there. That's not his point. No, Paul and, uh, says what, what pastor and author A.W. Tozer is, says, I mean, Tozer just picks up on what Paul has said here. He says, faith is seeing the invisible, but not the non-existent. That's what Paul's getting at here. I'm not, I'm not advising you to believe in something that isn't there. I'm telling you that there is a greater reality. He says that he's looking at things that, despite being unseen, are not only not non-existent, they're actually more real more real in the standpoint that they are eternal, they are lasting, they are not going to fade away. They're more real than what is visible. 
And, and if you've ever watched one of those forensic cop shows, you've seen an example of this. Right? You, you know what Paul is talking about. On every single one of these shows, okay, and I don't watch a ton of them, but, but as I do, as I watch some of these, uh, there's almost always, there's an episode where, and I don't know if, you know, you just, this is just kind of one of the things that writers have in their bag, but there's almost always one of those episodes where they're not sure, the, the, the detectives, whoever's working on this, they're trying to figure out who done it, and in the midst of that, they're just stumped, and they think they know, they think they've got their, their guy, they know what's going on, but they need proof. They, they need the evidence. And so they go back to wherever the, the crime scene is, whatever the spot is where they think this crime occurred. And again, the, the, whoever committed this crime has done their due diligence to make sure everything is, is buttoned up and they're trying to, you know, they think they got away with it until they bust out this very simple thing, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? The blue light. And you just bust out a blue light and all of a sudden what happens? All this evidence pops up. You start shining that blue light and the evidence becomes clear. It, it, the lights are turned off, the blue light is switched on, the case against the suspect closes shut. And what happens is that previously invisible evidence is now clear as day. What was invisible is now seen. It's now evident. It, you see, the most important reality in that case was one that prior to the blue light had been invisible. And, and now this is an example of the kind of faith it takes for detective work, but What's biblical faith? What are the unseen things that those who follow God should be looking for? Listen to what Paul says from other parts of his letter to the Corinthians. Listen to, this is just a summary. I would kind of splice together a number of things that he's talking about as he's building his case for living by faith. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. The one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. See, what Paul saw was that God had guaranteed something far better than his current situation. He's talking about things, I mean, real tangible things like his body, about his purpose in life, about how he's going about carrying out just day-to-day -day tasks. But he's doing that with an eye on these unseen realities. Faith is seeing the unseen reality that God will not let you down. And this is, this is Paul's angle. As he's approaching these things that God has called him to, he, he's embracing this unseen reality He's looking to it, the reality that God will not let us down. Which brings me to my next point. Why should you or I or anyone else live a life of faith? 2 Corinthians 9, 5 verse 9, that helps give us the answer. Paul's addressing this. He says, therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. I want you to hear this. The reason for faith the reason that we approach things from this angle is to please God. Paul's saying, I live because of the faith that I have. I'm now living to please God. But this raises another question. Why should we care about pleasing God? Why should that matter to us? And Paul answers that one too. He read, says this in verse 10. 
He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what's he saying? He's saying we seek to please God because he is the only true judge of what is pleasing. His is the standard that really matters. And I want to pause here before I explain again in more detail why a Christ-pleasing life is so good. Let me explain what it's not. Let me explain. Now, remember, Paul is writing to a group of Christians. These are people who have trusted Christ for salvation. People who know something about faith and have recognized two often unseen things. First, these are people who've recognized that they are unable, incapable in themselves to live a life that is worthy of God and are, therefore, cut off from Him. There's there's this reality that in and of ourselves, we are cut off from God. We, we all end up elevating our desires for what we see above God's righteous, love, life-giving standard. And so because of that, we, we find ourselves separated from Him. But there's this other unseen reality. As a result of seeing this in themselves, they have come to see that Jesus, in the life He lived, in the, the death that He died, and the new life that He lives because of His resurrection— is the only way for them to know and be with God. They've embraced these two things. Without God, I'm cut off from Him. But because of Jesus, I can be reconciled to Him. It's explained even further. Paul says it this way later in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God of God. It's this great exchange. We were unrighteous in ourselves. We needed righteousness. Jesus was sinless in himself. We needed payment for our sin. He gives us his perfect life. He bears the penalty for our sin, and we get reconciled to God, right? This is, again, the Christian hope, the hope of the gospel. See, and and so what we need to understand as we see this good news, um, that's it. That's at the core of it. But Here's the thing, right? We read 2 Corinthians 5.10, it seems to suggest something different from this, right? which is why it's so important as we read our Bibles, we don't just pick and choose, oh, look, I pulled this one piece of scripture out and I didn't really pay attention to anything else that was going on. I just decided this is what I think just because of one little snippet. Paul's building a whole case here. The Bible's trying to make a larger case. It wants us to understand, God wants us to understand a, a bigger picture here. And so, But at the same time, we read 5.10, and it seems to suggest that God's judgment for us, of us, rests in our deeds, right? That that we could be Christians, and God's sitting here going, well, I'm still, the verdict's still out. Are you going to do it well enough or not? And we kind of can live this life, and many of us maybe have been in this hamster wheel where we're, we're constantly running, hoping we're ticking things over far enough that God's finally going to be pleased enough with him that we can know that we have confidence before him. But let me say, again, if we, we broaden out and, and, and consider not just what is said here in 2 Corinthians 5, but just the, the testimony of Scripture, the first way that I explain salvation is correct. And so living that pleases Christ does not produce our salvation. Instead, living to please Christ is proof of our salvation. Just as a blue light exposes what's already there, living to please God 
demonstrates what has already occurred through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's evidence of what Christ was pleased to do for us. And so we live for Christ's pleasure, but we don't live for Christ's pleasure as a way to earn Christ's pleasure. It is something that Jesus has secured on our behalf. And so we live to, to please him. And so, while faith-fueled, Christ-pleasing living does not earn our salvation, it does do two other things. In Romans 12:1, we're encouraged because of God's mercy, okay, because of God's mercy to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God because this is our spiritual act of worship. And so this first thing is Christ-pleasing living results in worship for God. It it results in in worship for him, which he absolutely deserves. But it also results in this. It results in something for us that we can never deserve on our own. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But here's the thing. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that faith is God's gift to us. Okay, so now, pull this all together. Right? Do, do you catch what's going on here? We trust Christ to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and we get rewarded. This is grace. Again, at the, at the heart of this whole thing is the grace of God. This is a gift where we receive what we could never do for ourselves and then we're rewarded for having received that gift. And so, Christ-pleasing faith results in not only worship for God, but it results in good for us. And the greatest good that we can ever receive is what Paul described earlier. It's a life spent with God. The greatest reward is God himself. But with that in mind, understand that faith also results in good in this life. Paul says back in in verse 6, We are always confident, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And the word confident there can also be understood as courage. It's where we looked at in depth earlier this spring. But he says that, that there is this courage that is produced. It mean, and, and what that word means is that it's a confident attitude that disposes a person to acts of faith. There's a certain confidence that moves us forward in faith. It's the result of faith, right? Faith begets faith. And so that leads us to this final point here. The reality of faith is blind sight. And the reason for faith is to please God. But there is a reward of faith that we experience here and now, and that is God-empowered courage. God-empowered courage. Mark Twain said that courage is resistance to fear, not the absence of fear. And this is the type of courage that faith produces. Living a God-pleasing life of faith allows us to project God's goodness out into the future. And it gives us the courage to hop the fences of life, right? To look out and go, hey, wait, I don't know where I'm going to fall. I don't know where my feet are going to go. It gives us the the confidence we need to step into projects, whether they excite us or freak us out or a little bit of both. It gives us the confidence we need to follow the Lord even when we can't see exactly where our feet are going to land. 
And so with this in mind, with the reality of faith and the reason for faith and the reward of faith in mind, I want to invite Eric and Kaylee Schrader up. Uh, We're going to talk to them a little bit. They played a key part in uh, this whole endeavor of getting this place renovated. And as I said, we want to honor some different contributions as we go through this series. And so ask them to kind of think of their answers to these things. And so I will just walk through these together. But you guys were here really early on when uh, we came, kind of saw this place in all of its pre-renovation glory. Uh, what, did, what did you see when you toured the building for the first time? I saw, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I saw a building that looked like a pure adventure. This is like, <laughs> yes, there's so much cool stuff about this. Um, I just saw a mess, a disaster. I did not want my kids in the building because I didn't know what was on the floor, on the walls. It was pretty gross. But I did see like potential and thought, I don't know, I saw potential, but it was like hard to see that. So with that in mind, though, despite that, I mean, seeing both adventure and, and the, uh, the grossness of everything, and, and yet potential, uh, as you got into it, as we began this whole thing and got moving down the road, what obstacles to pulling this off did you, before that, before that, but as, as we thought about, hey, we're going to enter into this, what were the obstacles that you anticipated in terms of pulling this off? The biggest thing for me was I knew it was going to take a lot of time and like strain on our family of just balancing. He still has a full-time job, um, but then trying to do this and what that would look like for our family. Yeah, the, the time, what it was going to look like being multiple places, um, there was like mechanical, electrical, plumbing. We have an awesome in-house plumber to where we just like leaned on him for plumbing. And I just forgot about that. But then mechanical and electrical, there was like a whole bunch of stuff to where we have some awesome volunteers. We have a lot of people who want to do stuff. And we had a culture where finding people to do things wasn't necessarily a huge concern. You know, we what level of volunteers was going to actually show up. You know, when, when you start the project, you're like, I have no idea what other people are thinking about doing, how much time other people are planning on doing. Um, in my head, it's like, well, I kind of know it'll probably take a lot of, you know, 3,000, 12,000 man hours, but, you know, how are we going to get there? I don't know, but I'm sure it will happen. Um, there's a handful of, like, mechanical and electrical things were like who's going to do this and who's going to pull a permit and where are we going to get certain resources to come from and so we had ideas when we started this thing but that didn't necessarily mean that those ideas would actually happen and we a lot of those ideas didn't pan out and we had to find other ideas and pivot again and um, you know you kind of anticipate issues but you don't know what the issues are going to be yeah so with that in mind, then, as you got into it, right, I mean, you were, Eric just, I didn't say it specifically, but Eric was project manager for, for this project while also project managing things happening, being built around the country. Uh, and, and so as you got into it, as you were managing the project and as you were pitching in as a family, what were the obstacles that you faced? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we talked about early was the whole time thing. It's like, okay, well, we don't want this just to be something where I'm gone. How does Kaylee get involved? How do the kids get involved? And that's something we talked about just 
as a church and just as we started this project? How do we get more people involved um, in any age range and any skill set level and anything, whatever? And so, um, you know, one of the things we consistently talk about is just blending of just trying to find ways to bring everybody together. So that was just like, okay, well, it's, I don't know what this looks like. I guess we just bring the kid to the building. All right, that works for demo day. Okay, now the place is disgusting and there's stuff everywhere. So now what do we do with the kids? Like, I don't know, lock them in a room. Well, that's not safe. Like, and so there's definitely things where we tried to bring people and get things involved and it worked really well, demo day. And like, there's some electrical stuff and there's things where kids would just play or they'd go play outside and it worked really well. And then there'd be like, days we'd show up and we had a really great plan and then it didn't work and we're like oh, okay this is not going to work out the kids are a complete disaster a complete mess this isn't happening and all right go home and try again the next day <laughs> yeah well and i think we kind of had a plan in place of like when he would go to the building and when he won it and there was weeks that was totally like in my head and it was fine and then there was times where like I wanted him home and I didn't care what we said. Like, <laughs> um, so I think that was hard knowing like, I don't know, in me balancing like, this is what we committed to, but I'm being selfish right now and I want you home. <laughs> but then you having to realize like when I needed you home, no matter, I don't know, just to help me out. And then like we had some of our date nights where coming to the building to work and <laughs> lay carpet. <laughs> I would show up and all of a sudden I'd be like, what? How? Nobody was supposed to be here for like hours now. What, what's happened? There's these elves. Again, these elves exist all around this church. <laughs> and it was them having spent four hours on a date night having laid carpet or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so at the end of the day, I mean, again, thinking about uh, just all that's gone into this, at the end of the day, what, what compelled you to... Uh, really give your time and resources and energy to make this happen. Because one of the, I mean, besides the adventure of just the chaotic building of what it would be, I mean, a lot of it was just the people. I mean, being a part of the Grove, seeing the people involved here, knowing what we're doing, like, and just knowing that, like, hey, we've really invested in this community. This is just an opportunity for the people to dig in more. Um, there's time and time again just throughout the project where I'm like I have no idea how this is gonna get fixed or resolved or like completely just I'm at the end I have no idea but it was God continually showing in some way shape or form people he was answering things with his people for his people and so I mean there's countless stories where I could think about I'm at my end and somebody would show up and just start doing things I'm like, well, I didn't ask that person to do that or do this. And it was that encouragement of just people just doing things without even expecting that just kept things going. I mean, just the vision for like what this space could be for the community and, um, and just knowing like God is using all of us together, growing as we're working together and I know you had said like um, oh, we're gonna get tired and we're gonna get grumpy and whatever but I feel like it we all grew closer and relationships were built throughout it well I'll say this uh, obviously there are there are benefits I mean there, there are tangible benefits to 
the kids, you know, staying away from the grossest things, but still being around and getting to pitch in and, and do all those things. There's tangible benefits of the time that you guys have spent. And, and yet at the same time, uh, you've paid a, a huge price. Um, there's just no doubt. And um, the facts are, as a church, there's no way we could adequately, uh, like, repay you financially for what you've done over the last seven months. It's just impossible. However, the members of this church said, hey, you know what, you guys should get some rest and some refreshment and, and have some way of being able to recharge a little bit. So uh, with that in mind, we, we set a goal and we surpassed that goal. And so this is a check for $2,500. So you guys can go on vacation somewhere and just be on vacation and let the kids know that the price that they paid uh, was worthwhile, that the Lord loves them and is caring for them, that your church loves you and cares for you, is deeply grateful for, again, the price that you guys paid. So you take that, and I will hug you. Well, you can keep that if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You guys clap again. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're small in some respects. Some people would say, hey, that's a big church. And, and there are plenty of people who look and go, man, this place is, I mean, I'm looking going, hey, this place is amazing. I, I don't want to minimize that. But I will say it this way, you guys are small but mighty. And I'm deeply grateful for uh, just all the contributions. We're going to continue to talk about this over these many weeks. But it was entirely appropriate that we recognize that um, while it took everybody, at the end of the day, if it wasn't for your dedication, for your flexibility, for the kids' perseverance and, and flexibility. Uh, it, just, it just would not have happened. Or if it would have happened, it would have happened about three times as long, right? It just would have taken forever and probably cost way more money. So thank you guys again. I, I want to just wrap up with this as we, we consider their example and we think about the reality of faith and the reward of faith and the, the reason for our faith, I want to leave you with just a few things to consider as, as we think about our own projects, as we think about projects moving forward, or, or the projects that you either lead or participate in. And, and the first thing is do this. When you, when you lead participate in a project, look for what's unseen. Okay, look for what's unseen. We, we came and we looked at this place. The, the question really was, what is possible? And the, the answer was, well, it's possible that we could have a home for the grove that anchors us ever deeply, more deeply, into this community. That, that was the goal. It wasn't, oh, man, we'll be done moving chairs. I know some of you thought, oh, we'll be done moving chairs. We're still moving chairs. Eventually, we'll stop moving chairs as much. But, but you know, the, the goal, the vision, the, the, the unseen thing was, man, this place can be a home. But you had to see beyond the gross. And to see beyond just what was seen. There was a, an element of faith. And, and again, it's the kind of thing that Eric could see things I wasn't able to see. Because I just I didn't have the experience. And so it is with, with the life of faith. Is as you take steps, you start to see things that before were invisible. 
And later on, then you go, oh, wait, I know what that looks like. I know how to do that. I, I can see there's more to this because I've, I've been down that road to some degree. I still, I still can't see exactly where my feet are going to land, but I can see more. So as you engage in projects, you've got to look first for what's unseen. And then related to that, ask the question, what's the why? Again, the, the part of this is, well, the why was, well, we can have a, a home anchored more deeply into this community. And yet the, the greater, even greater why is because Jesus is worth it. Because he works through his people. Because he, he delights in his church. He wants us to move forward trusting him for his glory. And so we've had to do that all throughout. Not just look at what was unseen, but, but continually ask, okay, why this and why that? And, and try to reconnect that to the things that we were doing, which leads to the last thing I would encourage you to do is keep the why in the way, okay? Keep the why in the way. You, you can't say it. We couldn't say it one time. I couldn't just tell you back in November, hey, this is going to be really great. You should just come and do it because we all got tired, right? And so there's a fine line between like, hey, I'm, you're, I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again, or you as you're participating in stuff, I'm hearing the same things over and over again, but the facts are we, we forget vision leaks. It's just times where you forget, wait, why exactly? And why, why do we have to do this now? Why not do it? You know, and so you've got to keep the why in the way. I don't know. I'm not, I don't, as we go through this, I'm not coming up saying, man, we just knocked it out of the park in every one of these things. But I'm telling you, these are the kinds of things that as we move forward and together as a church, these are the kinds of things we think about. And these are the kinds of things that I hope that we will all think about as the Lord calls us into the different projects that he puts on our, t on our plate. Okay, so with this in mind, those three things, right? Look for what's unseen, ask what's the why, and keep the why in the way. Just understand that as we approach our projects from an, a faith angle, God will give us courage to go where he sends us. He'll do that. And, and when we don't see the exact outcome, may we see the reality of God's promises. May we seek to please him above all else and trust that as we do, he really does reward us with even more courage, but even better than that, he rewards us with himself. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in deep gratitude, gratitude for what you've done in and through us. Again, gratitude for the Schrader family, for their commitment. And Lord, we ask you, open our eyes. Open our eyes so that we can see the surpassing greatness of living a life that is pleasing to you. Give us the courage that comes from seeing the unseen and allow us to hop the fences of life that we come upon. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.